This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, December 29th, 2020 edition of Invest Talk. And New Year's Eve is just around the corner on Thursday, and then a new calendar year. And 2020 has been certainly a difficult year in different ways from an investment standpoint, from a personal standpoint, from a lot of people. And I think we all can certainly appreciate that. And with the new year upon us, the goal is to look forward, right? Not backwards, look forward and try to put all the moving parts together in the new year and understand how it all fits together for us personally and for markets and asset classes. And we know that this this year taught you anything is that you have to be prepared, right? My grandfather's, one of my favorite sayings of my grandfather is, you don't know what you don't know, right? And the pandemic is a perfect example of that, is so many people look to, you know, before the pandemic said, oh, well, the next crisis is going to look like the last crisis, right? Like 08, a financial crisis, something that markets become unsettled because markets are unsettled, right? Kind of a feedback loop in ways because that's what we recently experienced. And then this year brought a pandemic that I don't think anybody really expected. And it just goes to show you that the next crisis guess what? It's probably not going to be a pandemic. The next crisis probably won't even involve the housing market. Right? It's going to involve something else. And what that means is you have to take into account all possibilities. Both good and bad. Right? Bad was the first quarter of the year. Good were the second, third, and fourth. More often, there's good quarters. But when the bad quarters come, those can be jarring. So you have to weigh the pros and cons of everything you're holding. And in relation to each other. I've done so many portfolio reviews this month. Right, People kind of trying to get a second opinion on their portfolios. Should they do they have the right diversification, asset mix? Where is their biggest risk? And to a man, each and every one, they're overweight tech. Many of them, that's pretty much all they have. You know, They might have a few small positions in Johnson & Johnson or something like that. But pretty much... That's what they own. 
especially newer investors. That's all they know. They don't know how to look at a utility company or a logistics company or a packaged foods company. In a lot of ways, it's foreign. And it's not exciting. And I get that. But that doesn't mean it can or should be ignored. It shouldn't. Oftentimes, those areas that are the least exciting, from a narrative standpoint, can be the most rewarding. Every asset class, every sector, every sliver of the market, I say has its day in the sun. Right? All assets have their time when they're doing well. When investors are, are getting excited. And vice versa. There's times where the enthusiasm of certain asset classes there in the recent past had been so promising. It seems so. And that ebb starts to come from that flow in that particular flow into that particular asset class or slice of the market. So I'm Justin Klein, and today on this program and podcast, I will do my best to provide you with the strategies, the information that you need to make the right decisions. Give you the mindset to not just rebalance your portfolio, but to make smart money decisions, smart investment decisions on a consistent basis. Okay, so that's my goal here each and every weekday. Now let's check in on the market real quick. You had the S&P down about eight points today, but it was a very weak market. Uh, you had the Russell 2000 that was down 36 points, about almost 2%. Pretty big down day on that front. VTI, the, the total, total stock market index, that was down 81 cents, about half a percent there. So not a big down day in that sense. Uh, but if you look into, for example, the Qs, or sorry, the NASDAQ composite, that was down 50 points, a little less than half a percent as well. So modest down day going into year end, profit taking, maybe, maybe trying to lock in a few gains uh, before a potential increase in the capital gains tax next year. Right, A lot will depend on what happens in Georgia, but that's certainly maybe on the top of mind for some people as well. So this could be an inflection point for the markets as a whole. Now, have you heard? Have you can already tell I have a busy and information-packed podcast for you today. So let's get right to our first caller at 888-99-CHART. Yeah, hello. I was wondering about GUSH. It used to be really high. I don't know if this stock split like a year ago or not. Dexron Daily, S&P Oil and Gas. That's what I was curious about. If, if it had split like a bunch of times to go from its high back in January to what it is now, or if it's just from COVID to the drop. Thank you. Bye. All right. Well, this is a great example of what I tell people not to do, which is uh, invest in these, invest, not 
some you know, if you want to use it for a trading vehicle, sure. But investing in or, or holding long term a leverage ETF, this is where you get in trouble. So while it looks like it's dropped dramatically, and it has, right? January is trading around $1,600 split adjusted per share. Now it's at $36 a share, right? $1,600 to $36. It's a tough performance over that year, but shows you what happens when you have a leveraged ETF and the sector goes against you. The losses are quick and dramatic. And so you can see that year-long process, that decay of uh, trying to leverage up the portfolio and con constantly losing money, right? And compounding those losses. And that's what that leverage really does. And that's why, uh, you know, the whole sector as a whole, that, this is following the oil and gas sector. It's the Directions Daily S&P Oil and Gas Expiration and Production, two times ETF. So when the whole sector is doing well, it's going to do fine. But when it's not, not so much, right? If you look at this on a shorter-term basis, right, since November, November was trading $18 a share. Now it's at 38 right? So here, there's your... There's how it cuts both ways, right? When things are going well for a sector, a leverage ETF can do very, very well. But when it's not, they do absolutely terribly. And this is a good example of that. So just a good example of why you don't hold leverage ETFs long-term. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And winter is here and Christmas over. But New Year's Eve is just ahead. So my job in the new year is to help you develop better strategies, more effective strategies. So let's talk about whatever is on your mind. Your participation is an important part of the mix. So we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. Let's take a quick look at your financial to-do list. At the top, make that phone call to the Invest Talk Anytime listener line. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will provide unbiased answers to your questions. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today concerns a story that gives us a lesson in foreign investment, and that is Alibaba shares have plunged again following increased regulatory scrutiny and they're saying that Alibaba is suspected of abusing its monolip monopolistic powers excuse me and we're gonna talk about that story here coming up also let's look at margin debt do you know what margin debt is it's pretty interesting to see where margin debt is, how much leverage people are putting on their investments, and how quickly it will eventually reverse and look at history of levels of margin debt that we're at now. Next up, after that, businesses returning to office and what that is starting to look like, right? While the pandemic is certainly going to change a lot of the way we do business. In some ways, it will stay the same, right? I, I do think there will be a trend back towards the office, 
away from work at home quite as much. Still think it'll, you know, three years from now, we're going to be working at home more than we did pre-pandemic. But I also don't think it's going to be quite as big of sea change as a lot of people are expecting. I still think there's, there's, there's a place for the workplace, having uh, separation of home and work, uh, the collaboration process of being in the same office and same workspace. So all those factors are, are going to, I still think, push a good number of companies to have at least the majority of time that a employee is working to be in office. Uh, and we're going to look at what that might look like going forward. And then lastly, if we have time to go over how America's finances looked pre-pandemic, where they spent money, where they didn't, uh, how they shored up their finances, right? We're going to break it down into highest income, second highest, second lowest, and then the lowest quartile. So four quartiles there. So we're going to try to break all that down for you. But, you know, the, ultimately, we want to know what is on your mind. Your calls are going to be first and foremost. And I, do, I don't want to make a habit of going into a lot of detail, but I think you should be aware of how Steve and I help investors through our company, KP Financial. We're based in Irvine, California, which is in Orange County. I don't know if you know the area, Southern California, just south of LA, about a, an hour. So let me take a, a minute to remind you that here on Invest Talk and at my company, KPP Financial, we operate with the philosophy of independent thinking and shared success, which means we provide unbiased guidance both on air as well as off. And our investment strategies ride alongside with our clients, which we call parallel investing. So we invest in the same things that we invest for our clients. Now, a new year begins in three days. And as a reminder that it's smart to take action to optimize your portfolio in this time. I encourage you to take advantage of our offer for a free portfolio review assessment via telephone, Skype, or Jive meetings. And you can send us a message through investtalk.com or call the KPP Financial Offices in Irvine, California at 800-557-5461. Obviously, no obligation. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Your participation is important, and we're taking your calls live right now at 888 Chart. What a difference a year makes. You've got finance and investment questions, and Justin Klein is here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 Chart. Hey, gentlemen, Dan from Seattle. I opened up an account with you guys a few months ago. and just want to let you know I've been very happy so far with everything. Shout out to Nick and Ryan, I believe, who have answered all of my emails because I am very tech-challenged, and I really appreciate that. My question is with oil. I still have an account that I play with. I have OXY and Exxon, and I'm up OXY over 100% already. Where do you guys see oil going in the next few months? Should I take some profits or... You think it's still going to climb once the economy starts opening back up? Thanks for any input, and I will eventually probably just give you guys all my money because you are much better at this than me. Thank you. <laughs> all right, looking at, well, appreciate those kind words. Uh, we're looking at Occidental, Exxon, just oil space in general. Now, these are two different companies in some ways, but similar in others. Now, they're both 
they both have a lot of assets, right? Large companies. Oxy has a $15 billion market cap, but more importantly, if you look at revenue, about $20 billion in revenue trailing 12 months, although that's down if you look at an all-time high, right? A lot of that had to do with uh, the, the drop in oil prices, but it was about $20 billion in uh, December of last year. So down a little bit on the revenue uh, side, but certainly profits have gone negative. Uh, and the biggest issue with Oxy, uh, Occidental Petroleum, o- OXY is the symbol, is their debt level, right? $38 billion in debt, $16 billion market cap. So they're, they're going to have to work through this, trying to get to you know, cash flow positive. This is certainly a riskier play than an Exxon, which while the total amount of debt is, let's see, let's take a look at this. Total debt is a little bit higher, right? They're still cash flow, free cash flow positive by a billion dollars last quarter. Um, they're, they're still making money. Uh, their, their balance sheet is not nearly as stressed and they're more diversified, right? Oxy is more of your per, pure play driller, right? That's going to be exploring in foreign oil and natural gas. And where Exxon is more vertically integrated, right? They have refining operations uh, up and down the chain of taking that raw material and turning into other types of products and selling that in the market as well, which, you know, when oil prices go down, that can buffer their their revenue, right? Uh, and profits. And so that's why next year Exxon's supposed to make a dollar sixty three, whereas Oxy is still going to project to lose a dollar sixty nine. So two very different companies from a risk perspective. Uh, Exxon certainly better dividend, better balance sheet, better business long term, uh, and so is the safer play. Oxy is a riskier play, but also potentially a lot more upside, right? Pre-pandemic was trading at $40 a share and it was having a tough time then, okay? So if it gets back to, if it can can get back to those levels, you're talking about over a double from 17 where it is today. Whereas Exxon's at 41, pre-pandemic it was in the, is it around 70? So a little bit less upside there. For me, I like Exxon. I like the lack of balance sheet problems. Uh, they're, going to be picking up the assets and have picked up some assets from bankrupt companies because they have the balance sheet and the ability to borrow to buy up great assets in a time like this. And that's really what happens, right? The, the weaker companies, the poor run companies that put on a bunch of debt, those are going bankrupt or struggling or having to sell share uh, shares as well as assets in order to stay in business. That happens as well. So all those factors make me like Exxon over Oxy. But I do think oil in general will go higher over the next year because of lack of investment in production. Back in the spring when oil prices went negative, remember that? Well, that shut off new investment in the space, and that usually feeds into production about a year out. And so starting early, first half of next year, we're certainly going to, I think, get back to a more balanced environment for oil and higher prices will eventually come. So I like the oil space. Let's go to Emilios in San Francisco looking at AES, which is AES Corp. This is a utility, electric utility. Bigger one, $15 billion market cap. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it? I'm looking to buy it, Justin, and uh, happy holidays to you. I haven't talked to you this week. How are you? 
Appreciate it. I'm doing pretty well. Uh, you know, it's just trying to close yeah, the looking, year strong. And good. I was gonna say I'm looking to have it long term, for like 20 years, uh, just for the dividend. So I don't know if you mm -hmm. like it, the fundamentals of the company. Let me take a look here. It's certainly been on a pretty strong run since the bottom in March. That was around $9 and change. And now we're at $23.31, even higher than we were pre-pandemic. And it's certainly outperformed the utility space recently, right? Utility space has kind of been pulling back overall, if you look like an XLU. So the, my question is, why is it doing that? Which is certainly a positive. Um, but from a valuation standpoint, I do think this is a little bit expensive. I like the business. I like the profitability that it shows uh, longer term. So it would certainly be on my watch list, but I'm not getting excited about buying it at these levels. I think it's a little too expensive. Right now it's trading at 17, almost 18 times enterprise value to EBITDA. Longer term, it's never traded at those type of multiples. Uh, typically it's in the, in the high single digits. So from a long-term perspective, I wouldn't buy it right now, but keep it on your watch list. On the next invest talk, the story, us home price prices jumped at the fastest pace in over six years. That story coming up tomorrow and Steve will get to that. But for now, I'm Justin Klein and ready to take your questions live at 888-99 chart. Let's say. You've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like 
the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Invest Talk. The start of a new year promises many changes. For investors, the challenge will be how to stay focused on maintaining your assets while navigating market volatility. That's where Steve Peasley and Justin Klein can help. The phone lines are open and waiting for your questions now. 888-99-CHART. Eight 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 ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. Now today's focus point is in regards to a lesson in foreign investments and the fact that Alibaba shares are down on their luck, right? And this started back on uh, last Monday, and back then shares fell big as Chinese regulators ordered. Alibaba's Ant Group to kind of refocus its business. Remember, Ant Group had a recently failed IPO. And there was a there was a catalyst of why this happened, right? To why this happened. And a lot of people point to Jack Ma, Alibaba's co-founder and former CEO. And the controlling shareholder of Ant Group. And he had a speech in early November where he made the Chinese government upset, right? The CCP. Because he criticized financial regulations and quoted a phrase from Chinese President Xi Jinping. And this is a good example of why Chinese investments are difficult, right? Chinese investments are fraught with a lot of non-business danger, right? You're talking about potential trade war between U.S. and uh, China, even though, yes, Trump is going to be out of office in a few weeks, but the next administration is, in a lot of ways, just as hostile to trade with China. Maybe going back going about it a different way, but there's certainly still some contentiousness still there. And if you operate in China, you have to play by their rules. And part of those rules are not speaking out against the Chinese Communist Party. And so Chinese China's central bank released a harshly worded critique of Ant Group's business practices, and they basically said, you need to focus back on your less lucrative digital payments business, which is a more competitive space, which limits their long-term growth potential. 
And Alibaba had been rising pretty dramatically. It hit a record $859 billion market cap uh, valuation before a potential ant public listing. And now it's at less than $600 billion because ant fell out of favor. And then last Thursday, the co- China's top commerce regulator said it's investigating whether Alibaba is abusing its dominant market position in online retailing, kind of like Amazon. You know, forcing merchants to sell products exclusively on their platform, for example. And this just goes to show you that Chinese investments, when you're thinking about them, it's more than just the underlying profits and revenue, which are also hard to know how much is real, how much is fabricated. You know, we've seen that in history. Certain percentage of it is, it's just, is it small or large? And then you have that regulatory backdrop that is driven by one party that can do whatever they want at any time, right? It's not like Congress where they have to fight back and forth of what type of regulation to put on companies. No, they can do it in an instant. And so the big question is how far will they go? How far will they go with these increased regulations? And is this a real threat? to clamp down on their business, or are they using them as an example, saying, hey, do not speak out against the Chinese Communist Party. Otherwise, you'll be hurt in your pocketbook. Right? You need to play by our rules. And I ultimately think that's what it is. I don't think they really want to hurt Alibaba or Ant Group too much. I think they this will go on for some time, but it'll eventually dissipate if they show that they're playing by their rules. So that's the way I look at it. Um, doesn't mean that Alibaba is going to ever be completely out of the woods, but it's a lesson to all of you out there that have maybe a lot of money in Chinese corporations or corporations in other countries that have thuggery-type regimes at the head of those countries that... Assets can be taken. Assets can be stolen. Regulation can be smacked on companies at any given time for any given reason. And that's why you typically get cheaper companies overseas because of those geopolitical reasons. Now, I'd like to fit in as many caller questions as possible, so let's grab one now from Georgia. It came in on 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Doug from Georgia. I've been looking at UMC, United Microelectronics Corporation. It's about a $21.5 billion company. Uh, I tried to purchase it about four months ago at $3.48 a share. Did not purchase it. I did a limit on it, and today it's around $8.75. I've been kind of waiting for it to drop back down, and it's done nothing but go up. The 200-day moving average is around $3, and the 50-day moving average is around $4. P.E. ratios are at 40. So I guess my question is, should I just forget this thing because I keep watching it go up, or should I maybe if it drops around $6, pull the trigger? Long-time listener, and I thank you in advance for any advice. 
All right, this is USM, or sorry, United Micro Corporation, United Microelectronics Corporation, UMC is the symbol. And this is the second largest foundry in terms of market share in the world. And it manufactures chips by AMD, Xilinx, etc. And this is how the chip industry is headed. Uh, it's been headed this way for a while, but with Intel's issues recently with their own foundry, right, one of the big differentiators with Intel is that not only did they design their own chips, but they actually manufactured their own chips as well, and that was a competitive advantage until it wasn't recently, where they're having trouble with their next generation of chips on the manufacturing side. What companies like a NVIDIA, an AMD, etc., what they do is they go to a Taiwan Semiconductor or a United Microelectronics and they work directly with them and design chips that can be manufactured in their factories and these factories take on the cost of building them out, maintaining them uh, and they have the scale, right? They have a large scale because they're producing chips for multiple companies, large volumes, right? And that's the direction of, of the business as it gets harder and harder to have the proper scale and the execution to make these chips, which is getting harder and harder, right? As they get more sophisticated uh, and, and faster and adding more and more transistors on each chip, et cetera. So that's the direction of the semiconductor space. And so, while Taiwan Semiconductor is the largest, this is the second largest. And so this is a play to say, hey, uh, maybe don't want to go and uh, use the largest. Maybe they don't have the capacity, whatever it is. You want to go to a smaller player, maybe with more capacity for various reasons. And, and United Microelectronics is one of those. So I kind of like this idea. Now, it has gotten ahead of, ahead of itself. Uh, you're talking about a 52-week low of... $9.40, now we're at, sorry, $2.10, high is $9.40, and now we're at $8.31. So uh, it's certainly overextended. It's made, recently made a lower high, it looks like. I think this is going to come back down to earth. Uh, around 4 to $5, this would be interesting to me. Um, but right now at $9 or $8.31, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of it at those levels. But I like what you're looking at. I, I do think that this type of business uh, is going to be important and sustainable long term. Uh, so this is a pretty pretty good alternative to Taiwan Semiconductor, with which is also pretty expensive here, but uh, maybe having both. But I like this name. I would just wait for a larger pullback. I'm Justin Klein, and you're listening to Invest Talk, and you are not alone. As you might assume, the greatest number of our listeners are here in the U.S. However, it's interesting to note that we attract an audience from all over the world. Cambodia, Germany, Czech Republic, Mexico, Greece, Egypt, Canada, etc. And Steve, I thank you for downloading Invest Talk and telling your friends and family members about our free investing podcast. Please keep those calls, questions, and emails coming. We love them and we love hearing what is on your mind because guess what? What is on your mind is likely on other people's mind, minds as well. And of course, you're welcome to call our KPP Financial Offices in Irvine, California at 800-557-5461. We want to help you. We'd love to help you. But for now, our podcast phone lines are open. Give us a call at 888-99-CHART. 
This is Invest Talk. You can get your free Invest Talk podcast downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or investtalk.com. I am a big fan of your podcast, and I just got started with it. Be sure to tell your friends and family members about Invest Talk and encourage them to listen, rate, and review. The Anytime Listener lines never close. Steve and Justin are waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hi, my name is Sunny, and I have a question regarding converting account 401k to solo 401k. Actually, I'm currently working as W-2 employee where I'm contributing to a regular 401k account. And I do have a solo 401k account as well, which I had opened a couple of years ago as a consulting, uh, which is still continuing. My question is, while working as a W-2 employee and contributing to regular 401k, can I roll over all the money to solo 401k? Uh, the reason I'm asking is there is a more options to trade individual tro- stocks in solo 401k rather than some limited options in regular 401k. Is it possible that without leaving a current job, I can roll over from 401k to solo 401? Thank you, and I will listen to the answer over the podcast. Thank you. Ooh, that's an interesting one. Uh, well, you you can contribute to up to $57,000 per job, but a total of dollars $114,000 for your contributions to define contribution plans. So you can have both, but there are limits to that. I would definitely consult with your CPA on on that. Um, now, rolling from your 401k, uh, first off, you have to be 59 and a half to do what is called an in-service rollover. Um, so you, you could do that if you're 59 and a half. Uh, I wouldn't go into a f- solo 401k. I don't think that's necessary. Um, now, from a contribution standpoint, opening a solo 401k, that might make sense. Once once again, talking with your CPA, figuring out the limits based on your income, et cetera, will be important. Um, but what I would do is just roll that into an IRA, right? You're talking about opening up options, allowing to invest anything at Schwab, for example. Well, you can do that in an IRA. Um, so I would just use an IRA, more straightforward, easier to, to understand. And, you know, we have clients that do that. If they're over 59 and a half, we can open up a rollover IRA and we roll the balance while they're still contributing to it, right? They, they might have $500,000, roll that over into their, into a rollover 401k, or sorry, rollover IRA opens them up to pretty much any investment opportunity, and then they still can keep contributing to that 401k. So that's the way to do it. Now, if you're under 59 and a half, that uh, in-service rollover option isn't available, so you can't really get that money out, even if it's going to a solo 401k. doesn't matter. Okay, You can't take that money out. So hope that helped. Hope that clarified it. Let's go to Noel in Napa looking at B&G Foods. Yes, hi, Justin. Um yeah, I'm uh, I'm a senior citizen, and, and I, I've gone through several recessions, and uh, I'm thinking about kind of pruning things down a little bit because uh, you know the, the next few quarters don't look all that bright. Uh, so anyhow, uh, yeah, I've got about a 78% gain in 
BGS, and uh, and we don't know what the tax situation is going to be next year either. So I was thinking of uh, closing it out on the 30th when it uh, when it uh, does its uh, um, stock dividend. Uh, mm -hmm. Forgot the term. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, I, I mean I love the company. I love the dividend, but. Uh, and then I and then also I have a enough uh, long term loss to cover most of the gain that I'm going to have there. So for this year, so just thought I'd get your uh, opinion on that situation. Yeah, well, I, I like BG BG B and G Foods. Sorry, BGS is the symbol. Uh, I think they have great long term profitability, consistent profitability, which I like, positive free cash flow. Uh, their return equity tends to be in the mid to high teens, so I like that. Uh, while they did struggle last year, uh, they've done well during the pandemic, and I expect them to continue to do well. I think their management is good. Um, so, you know, I like the business. It does yield, still yields about 6.5% or so, 6.3 at the current level. It does go X tomorrow. Uh, that's you're talking about the X dividend date. So, um, I like it. I would hold it personally. Now, technically, it is does looks like it's getting a little tired. So, if you're looking to take those gains this year, not a terrible time to take it. But you know, I like it uh, longer term. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here: is to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So, get your questions in now at eight 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 ninety nine Chart. This is Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888 99 Chart. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is uh, Daniel calling from Houston. My question is in regards to uh, stock ticker. Levi, L-E-V-I, bought a position at $12.51. It's getting close to a 52-week high. Have a lot of gains. Um, just want your opinion on this stock. Is it a good time to stay in, or should I take profits off the table? Appreciate your feedback. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right. This is one of the stocks. It's been a nice run, 52-week low of... Nine dollars and nine cents. Fifty week high of twenty one eighty three, and now it's at nineteen dollars and eighty two cents. Down a bit, about ten percent off that high, and did close today below its twenty day moving average, which last time that was pretty decent support in early November. And to me, this is starting to look technically weak. MACD crossover, uh, and it's trading at pretty. I wouldn't say it's high multiple right now. It's supposed to be a, make a dollar a share next year. Obviously, this year was challenging. However, uh, it does yield 2.1%, $8 billion valuation. Let me look at its long-term profitability. Uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely has nice free cash flow. Let me look at that. Eh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I would take some money off the table. It's starting to look weak technically. And I could see this certainly retracing back down to the to mid to low teens uh, at the recent tailwinds for the business kind of kind of fade, and it's a kind of a choppy business as well. Uh, not a lot of growth there. So 
I would definitely take some money off the table, maybe on a wait till next year, uh, if you want to wait on those capital gains. Uh, but certainly, I, I think technically you're you're getting some weakness here, and it might be a good time to reduce your exposure to Levi. Now that brings me to my final talking point, which is margin debt. I don't know if you know this, but you can borrow a lot of money against your portfolio to buy stocks and. People are even getting crazier in this market and buying options. And options themselves are leveraged. So they're t- piling leverage upon leverage. And there was a caller yesterday asking, how did Tesla get so high? Well, a lot of people are doing that. I've seen it where large percentage of portfolios are invested in Tesla. They're uh, using margin debt to buy options, which uh, the re- there's a record number uh, of option trades in 2020, uh, what was the number? Yeah, 29 million option contracts changed hands each day this year. That's a 48% jump from last year, according to Options Clearing Corp. It's a record. So they're using leverage upon leverage. So this is why the market is so frothy right now, is because people are just piling into in chasing their returns, chasing these high-flying stocks. And buying up call options, they figured out kind of a way to game the system, at least in the short term, which is buy a ton of options, and it forces dealers to hedge their position by buying the underlying stock. And they're doing this with debt and leverage. Investors borrowed $722 billion against their investment portfolios through November of this year. That topped a previous record high of in May 2018 of $668 billion. And margin debt records tend to precede bouts of volatility that we saw in 2000 and 2008 as well. So a lot of people are extrapolating recent past and going, really putting all the chips in. Uh, and it just smacks of 2000, 99, 2000 in a lot of ways for me. You know, I was fairly young then, but I remember it. And so these riskier strategies that people are taking are, they're, they're using a lot of debt on top of it and leverage. And we know based on the past that these things don't go so hot at some point. You know, remember the VIX, the volatility uh, ETF craze back in 2018 when the VIX spiked? What happened then? That was an example where people were wiped out immediately, and a lot of people will be wiped out in this phase as well. But it was very interesting to see those statistics. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I will return next year. So I hope everyone has a wonderful new year. Steve will host the show tomorrow. Thursday is New Year's Eve. We'll have a new Best of Caller Question podcast set to run. And same for Friday. In the meantime, please remember to tell your friends and family members. They can choose from over 100 archived Invest Talk podcasts for free download over at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, as well as investtalk.com. And we encourage you to rate and review the podcast as well. We appreciate it. If you want to listen live, you can also hear the show streaming 4 to 5 Pacific time each and every weekday on investtalk.com. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Happy New Year.
Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein, chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial.